Hey, it's Dr. Michael Rich, the Mediatrician. I'm a practicing pediatrician and a child health researcher and a lifelong filmmaker who understands how powerfully screens engage and change us as human beings. As a doctor who takes care of kids every day, I see how they struggle with the screens in their pockets and on the walls as smartphones and televisions surround us in our world. So what I'm trying to do for you is to bring these two worlds together to really understand how to raise healthy, happy, productive children in a world filled with digital screens. Mediatrics educator Christelle Lavalley joins me here each week to address your questions. Yes, I do. Thanks, Michael. And this question actually comes to us from someone in Red Sox Nation. Carol, a teacher in Boston, reached out writing, At the therapeutic day school where I work, we've been encountering a number of internet and social media issues with our students, all kids with emotional or behavioral special needs. I would love to get your thoughts and ideas on how best to educate our kids and their parents on how to understand and appropriately use media. In particular, we're struggling to balance the kids' appropriate desires to connect and be curious with their clinical needs and vulnerabilities. Taking a just-say-no approach doesn't seem sufficient. You know, Michael, it's such a hard balance to strike, especially given the needs of Carol's students. What do you think? Well, we have to remember that all schools, but Carol's school in particular, are not just about what they learn in terms of facts or abilities in the academic realm, but are for social-emotional learning. Um, And some of this depends on the age and stage of the young people she's working with. So, for example, yeah, preschoolers, even neurotypical preschoolers who don't need special needs care, are working on how to interact with each other, how to move from the parallel or independent play of infancy through toddlerhood and into preschool learning to cooperate and get along. Mm -hmm. Um, School-age kids are learning how to operate as groups and do group projects and things of that nature. And adolescents are figuring out how to achieve their independence while still maintaining their peer relationships in ways that are positive. Some of it depends on the ages and stages of the, the students that Carol is working with. Um, but understanding that they may be a little behind, they may need a little extra care in dealing with things, but they're not things that are so different than neurotypical kids. Let's think about social media in particular as an amplifier of those social interactions. Hmm. In other words, what you put on social media, unlike face-to-face interaction, goes far, it goes fast, and it's sticky in the sense that it will hang around indefinitely. Sticky, yeah. Exactly. It spreads quickly and never goes away. So this can create real challenges, especially for children who have difficulty checking their impulses or thinking into the future about what the results of those actions might be. I can see where that would be problematic. Right, which then when they are receiving those social media can be very emotionally loaded um, because if they are working with someone or interacting with someone on social media that is having difficulty expressing themselves well and they are having difficulty receiving those expressions or reading those expressions well, it can be very difficult. So I would recommend that Carol teach her students 
her teachers, and the parents to treat online interactions as seriously or perhaps more seriously than in-person ones and to manage them in similar ways. First, keep your messages simple. One parent whose child I care for helps her son remember who it's okay to connect with on Facebook by remembering the two Fs of Facebook, friends and family. Oh, I like that. Two Fs of Facebook, friends and family. (laughs) This is the kind of message that you can easily repeat and remember. With your special education students who are often struggling with determining how safe a person is and what their intentions are, I would make a special caveat that friends should be those that they know in their real world. So they should not use social media to friend unknown persons, but to extend the friendships and nurture the friendships that they've made in the physical world. Another effective one that I use with everybody is the grandma rule. Would it be okay for your grandma to see what you're posting? And if not, don't post it. Okay, I have to interject here, Michael, because that grandma test is incredibly helpful and so important even for me. Not because I post anything scandalous or salacious, but it just helps me to think about how what I post might be interpreted by someone slightly outside of whether it be my generation, the situation, or let's face it, my own head. I'm not as brilliant as I think I am sometimes with my posts. And I never want to offend someone. And having my Nana's voice in my ear questioning what I mean helps me edit before pressing post. I think this, I, I love the grandma rule. It's a very practical way of remembering that there is a sender-receiver issue that exists in all human interactions. We often will say things that we think are a joke or a tease, um, but when it happens in real life, you get to see the person's body language. You get to see the slight smile in the corner of their mouth when they say it. All those communication cues. Absolutely. Online, all that nuance is lost, and you can interpret something that they meant as a joke as an insult. Emojis only go so far, people. That's very true. Here's the other thing is in the face-to-face situation, they get to read your response, right? Which they don't get to do online. And if you do take offense, even if it's completely wrong, they get to rectify that right away. And so I think that the grandma rule is really a good way of saying, There are different people. There are other people seeing this. Would they see this the same way you do? Mm -hmm. Brings it home. Right. So number two for Carol is to help her students focus on ways of managing their emotions before they go online. Mm -hmm. Really thinking about what they're going to say and show and do. Teach them to take 10 deep breaths before saying anything when they're upset. Remember the count to 10 when you're angry before saying anything. That still works. Teach them to take 10 deep breaths before they post anything. And then take a moment to walk away from their device. Put their device down until they're calm and thinking clearly. And really think about what they are saying and posting as a receiver would receive it. Gives them that time to be reflective. And to build empathy Mm, for the other person, to be for a moment in that other person's shoes and ask them to look at it 
as if they were on the receiving end and make a decision whether they actually want to post it as is, modify it, or maybe not post it at all. This sounds like a grandma rule expansion that we're giving Carol here. Absolutely. Yeah. And the third point when you're thinking about your students' social media use is to make sure that you work with them and supervise them as they go online. Help them learn how to be with each other in the online space, just as you do in the classroom and the playground and the lunchroom. This is a part of their life as much as all of those other places are, and they move seamlessly between the online and offline space. So, Sit beside them and teach them how to use social media in ways that are social, hmm. in ways yeah. that are building a society, the kind of society they would want to live in, because they're going to be leading that society before we know it. And so a child or student really shouldn't go online unsupervised, unmonitored, untaught until they are really competent in that space. Make sure an adult is present when she or he goes online. As she learns to use positive strategies for deciding when and what to post, you can gradually give her more freedom to go online on her own. So those are three great points for you, Carol, especially to apply within the in the classroom. But Michael, Carol's not the mom of these kids. And social media, as you, as you just said before, it extends far beyond the walls of the classroom. Well, here is a really good use for social media, which is to keep Carol and the mom of the kid in touch. So... Mom and dad. Use, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you used the term mom. Yeah, so I did, I know. <laughs> I don't want to leave my bros out. But <laughs> anyway, uh, no... This is one of the ways in which educational technology has actually improved education, and that is that it's created a closer and more transparent relationship between parents and their teachers. Yeah, the positives. Um, And so use social media to keep parents informed about what's going on in the classroom, not just all the good things that the student has done, but the things that the student is working on. Mm. and. Give mom and dad pointers on how to continue those lessons into the home and back into the school again. So, in addition to this, she can have after-school lectures or parent-teacher organization meetings and workshops for parents and explicitly teach them how to use social media and the internet in positive ways because even though they may think they know this stuff, Most of them don't know at all, and they can teach each other as well as the teacher teaching them. So use social media for one of the things it does really well, which is crowdsourcing, and bring the collective wisdom of how best to raise children in this digital space. I love, love, love that idea. I think it's a great way for Carol to help create a community of caring at her school and kind of bringing everybody together and on the same page. We hope this advice helps you in your classroom and beyond. Also, go socks. (laughs) (laughs) So for our beloved listeners out there, you can find all of the links to our resources and the science at askthemediatrician.org. You can also follow our mediatrician. He's a tweeter, at mediatrician. And you can submit your own question also at askthemediatrician.org. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you subscribe and share this podcast. Enjoy your media 
and use them wisely. Enjoy and teach your children well and raise them wisely. Ask the Mediatrician is hosted by Dr. Michael Rich. Joined by pediatrics educator Christelle Lavalley. Jill R. Cavanaugh is our Chief Knowledge Officer. Original music composed by Christopher Cerf. Podcast and music recorded, mixed, and edited at Saturn Sound Studios. Executive producer, Alicia Haywood. Thank you.